Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. Today we're going to be discussing osteoporosis. Now, for a bit of background, currently osteoporosis is diagnosed in most countries in patients with low bone mass, specifically a bone mineral density T-score of 2.5 or less. However, most elderly patients who have a low trauma fracture do not have osteoporosis as defined by these criteria. Thus, better algorithms to predict fracture risk and therefore who should receive preventative treatment are being explored. In 2014, the National Bone Health Alliance Working Group proposed an expanded criteria for osteoporosis diagnosis, which would include not only individuals with a T-score of 2.5 or less, but also people over 50 who have had a low trauma hip fracture and those with osteopenia by bone mineral density who have also had a specific type of low trauma fracture. It would also include people who have a high risk of fracture based on the WHO FRAX algorithm. This proposed expansion of the diagnostic criteria is controversial. The Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology editors sought an opinion from both sides of the debate to comment. And on this podcast, we will hear from both of those comment authors. First, from Alexandra Papanayu, and then from John Skousbo. Alexandra, could I ask you to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Dr. Uh, Alexandra Papaiwanu. I work, I'm a professor of medicine at McMaster University and a geriatrician at Hamilton Health Sciences St. Peter's Hospital and director of the Geris uh, Center. Can you highlight one advantage of the expanded criteria and also one key disadvantage? So one advantage of the expanded criteria is that we'll be targeting those at highest risk of fracture by including individuals with a hip, spine, proximal humerus fracture, these individuals are at high risk for sustaining another fracture during their life. And expanding this criteria will allow us to better target those at highest risk. One disadvantage of expanding these criteria may be potentially uh, an overdiagnosis if we look at the younger individuals who fracture their wrist. Unless the wrist fracture occurs with a low trauma incidence, for example, a fall from a standing height, so the individuals who fracture their wrists may still require a BMD, a bone mineral density, as many of these individuals uh, may not have osteoporosis and unless they've fallen and fractured their wrist from a standing height. Thank you, Alexandra. Could you briefly discuss the evidence that suggests that treatment of this expanded population of patients is effective, i.e. are the expanded criteria justified? So these expanded criteria are justified based on the clinical trials. So those at highest risk, those with a prior fracture of the hip, the spine, the pelvis, the proximal humerus, were the ones most likely to benefit from the drug treatment in that they reduced the risk of having another fracture. Can you comment on the implications for healthcare costs? So according to the, the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S., in 2012 costs, 
the cost of fractures was $18.8 billion. The implications for these expanded criteria is that perhaps we can reduce the cost by targeting those individuals who are most likely to benefit from the medication uh, treatment. These expanded criteria will also may perhaps have implications that those who are at lowest risk will not be treated uh, with medications and will follow health promotion strategies uh, rather than medications. Why did the National Bone Health Alliance Working Group expand the criteria? Um, this is a really important question. Too often, those who are at highest risk, those with the prior fractures, are not assessed and treated, and there's a tendency to over-rely on bone mineral densities. Many of the frail older seniors, particularly those in long-term care or those that are housebound, um, cannot access this technology. Having had a fracture is really the most important trigger that these individuals need to be assessed and considered for treatment to prevent the next fracture from occurring. Thank you, Alexandra. And now to hear from the other side of the debate, we will be speaking to John Scousbo. John, could you start by introducing yourself to the podcast? I'm John Scousbo, Director of the Park Nicolet Osteoporosis Centre of large integrated uh, uh, healthcare system in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, adjunct assistant professor in health policy and management at the University of Minnesota. Thanks, John. Could you start by highlighting one advantage of the expanded criteria and also one key disadvantage? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one advantage certainly is that it will draw attention uh, to the fact that there are substantial numbers of individuals at uh, significant risk of fracture that uh, don't meet the current more restricted criteria for the diagnosis of osteoporosis. Um, I, I think that, uh, and, and that is uh, a point that um, is made uh, by those that uh, have developed fracs and has been pushed re re repeatedly. The biggest key disadvantage of it uh, is, uh, is that it's um, unclear if you're actually going to be doing more good than harm with this for uh, all of the reasons uh, laid out in, in the commentary that, uh, that we wrote. And, and a, a disadvantage is expanding to a huge swath of the older population, a diagnostic label that does um, have some downsides to it. And, uh, so really, our, our point in our commentary was just that um, there, there better be pretty solid evidence that you're going to do more good than harm, and uh, we contend that that is not the case. Can you discuss the evidence that suggests that treatment of this expanded population of patients is effective, e.g. are the expanded criteria justified? Well, there is only one study prospective study that has suggested any benefit to this expanded population. And that was the study of chlorinate versus placebo in uh, Northern England that was performed by Eugene McCloskey and uh, John Canis and colleagues at the University of Sheffield. But counterbalancing to that is a host of data to suggest that, uh, that in these expanded populations, 
uh, treatment is either is not very effective, and that the and that the fracture reduction benefit may not be uh, terribly clinically significant. And to the and and if that's true, if you then combine that with the the substantial swath of the population that you're talking about identifying as having a disease and treating them, then you know the potential for wasted healthcare efforts and costs is substantial. Yeah, there is that clodronate study, but uh, the FIT trial clearly showed the opposite of that. Post hoc analyses of the denosumab uh, trial showed the opposite. Even in the Women's Health Initiative study, uh, granted their power was very low, but there was a suggestion that uh, fracture reduction benefit was substantially greater in those that met uh, the criteria, the current criteria for a, di- a diagnosis of osteoporosis compared to those who didn't. Uh, so I, I, we really strongly contend that the bulk of the evidence is that these treatments may not be very effective. I, I think the bottom line from our perspective is that this needs to be tested in a randomized trial, that, that a randomized trial of treatment versus placebo in those at high risk of fracture who nonetheless don't meet the criteria, the current criteria for a a diagnosis of osteoporosis is sorely needed. And part of the reason you get us arguing so strenuously against each other like this is because that data has not been done. The field needs needs that study badly. Can you comment on the implications for healthcare costs? Yeah, the implications uh, of, of these expanded cri- criteria for healthcare costs are substantial, and uh, both directly and indirectly. So directly, the, the implication is that you're, you're, you're talking about substantial increased effort to identify for case identification for, and for treatment costs. And uh, if these medications for, the, for these added subsets uh, is only minimally uh, effective to reduce fractures, uh, or only slightly, uh, then uh, there there is certainly a good possibility that treatment on that basis is going to be uh, very cost ineffective. I, I think the second thing to keep in mind is that if you're talking about asking the primary care workforce to carry this out, and there is no other way you could do this because of the huge subset of the population of which we're talking. We're talking about expanding this diagnosis from 36 to 72 percent of all Caucasian women in the United States age 65 and older. I don't know exactly how those figures would play out in Canada, the UK, or other countries, but but it is a substantial proportion. And um, I, I'm, if primary care docs end up shifting some of their efforts and attention away from other medical problems where they can more efficiently reduce healthcare costs by intervening. That is another indirect way in which the expansion of, uh, of, uh, of these criteria could be very costly. And for my final question, I also asked this to Alexandra, of course. Why did the National Bone Health Alliance Working Group expand the criteria? I think when you read the documents from them, uh, it, it becomes clear why they did. It's because insurers in the United States uh, have not been willing to cover expensive treatments 
uh, expensive fracture prevention treatments in the absence of better evidence that they actually work. That is clearly what the, to me, what the motivation that really comes through is. Um, I, and um, I, I, I think that, I, I, I do think that yes, there are some uh, understand uh, some admirable reasons why they they have done this, but it seems clear to me that that was the prime motivator. Um, and parenthetically, I might add, if anything, I'm concerned that this is going to backfire on them. I um, uh, the fact is is that uh, given the the pressure in healthcare costs, I mean, in general, um, insurers are going to demand uh, evidence um, that that that. Treatments actually work, be, whether that insurer be a public health payer, such as the NHS in the UK, or Medicare for people 65 and older here in the US, or a private health care insurer. Um, and uh, so I, I, I unfortunately, I, I do think that partly for that reason as well, this effort is really misguided.